Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. I feel your inner energy, you got it. And I feel your inner energy, you got it. Yeah, cause I feel your inner energy, you got it. Yeah, and I feel your energy.
Cause I feel the energy inside of your body I feel the energy inside of my body Cause I got the feelings in my soul, don't stop it And I got the energy to make you my wife Cause baby I ride from coast to Califi in no, no time And baby you know I'm alright as long as you're with me in here tonight And I got your feelings in my soul, don't stop it Don't stop it 101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves, and kicking things off for us tonight, that's Mombasa, Kenya-born Caleb Awidi, who now calls Vancouver home, with a new single called Energy. Uh, playing that one, not just because it's a great song, but because it serves as a, a bit of a setup for my first guest tonight, uh, Octavius Kihia, who you can hear on Something Like It on Fridays at 5 here on UMFM, also hosts a podcast on UMFM.com. Uh, called the Afro Amalgamation Podcast. It's an offshoot of the Afro-Caribbean Mentorship Program. We'll get into the details of that uh, after this next track. Uh, coming up a little later in the show, earlier this week, uh, Kid Jones uh, involved in a tragic incident, uh, and he has a affiliation with the station through podcasts as well. We'll get into that uh, as well. But before we do, Vieux coming to play Festival de Voyageur on the 18th. That's Festival starts now, and he's here on Sunday. Uh, this is with his collaboration with Krongbin, the tribute to his father, Ali Farkatura. This is Lobo here on 101.5 UMFM.
right. Well, you uh, you can hear him here on UMFM doing his show, something like it, a little earlier than this show on Friday evenings. Uh, but my guest, Octavius Cahia, uh, is also the host of a podcast, which you can hear on UMFM.com. Uh, and that's why I've got him in here to talk. First of all, welcome. Thanks for joining me here. Uh, thank you for having me, Michael. So the Afro Amalgamation podcast, uh, I, I want to talk about sort of like how it came to be, but also your involvement in the organization that is kind of responsible for, for birthing this podcast. So where where do you want to start? Um, I think it was, so it was just after a conversation I had with Dr. Warren Clark um, here at the university. And, you know, we tended to speak a lot because he was my, uh, he's my, he was my anthropology professor. Um, and I extensively took anthropology classes um, and we got to speaking uh, and I spoke a lot about um, cultural anthropology and black folk in, in the Winnipeg community. Um, and that's when it came up that he not only um, was also very passionate about some of the issues I was raising, but he had started an organization uh, in back in, I think he was still in Toronto or in Ottawa, uh, called the Afro-Caribbean Mentorship Program. Um, which is in community engagement and addressing some of the issues um, uh, that impact black folk um, everywhere, uh, right across Canada, but with a specific focus in Winnipeg right now. And so he invited me to a meeting, uh, and soon after um, we proposed starting a podcast um, in conjunction with the anthropology department um, and yeah, that's kind of how it came, uh, came about. Did you have kind of a concept for the podcast or was it, you know, loose at that point and then you kind of figured it out? Um, I think the most important thing that I learned, um, given the sensitivity of the topics that we would be discussing, I wanted to ensure that I give my guest um, a lot of room to speak on what they want to speak on. So if you look at, for example, my radio show, there's a lot of my own opinions, my own personality, and the topics that I'm interested in, uh, as opposed to the podcast. Because and when, when the podcast comes up, one of the m most important issues that I, I, I've, I've taken issue with um, I've brought this to the ACMP. I wanted to bring this up to the deputy premier, who's also the minister of health, who attended one of our events last week, is the fact that we are trying to address um, anti-black racism in a place where black people come from many different places. So it's not like in North America, in the United States, where you know you have a lot of African-Americans. Here, it's you have Afro-Canadians, uh, people of Afro-Caribbean descent, people from Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, uh, where I'm from. And so I want everyone to give their perspective um, based on what they've been going through in the community, based on their cultural background, and based on um, sort of what they, um, their understanding, not just of racism, but how it impacts them and, and, and uh, members of their community. So acknowledging sort of the there are unique characteristics based on 
heritage and where they came from. Yeah. But a commonality of experience as a result of facing race, anti-black racism in Canada. Yeah. So when you approach individual guests for this, like what what's your ask? Like, how do you say, here's I want you have on you on the podcast. Here's what we want to do. Like what, what, what message are you bringing to them? So th- th- I think that's the most important part there. And I'm glad you actually um, asked that question. It's different for every sort of caliber of guest. So we have a lot of um, academics and intellectuals coming on to the show, right? So I am more, it's easier for me to ask people like that. We recently had Dr. Warren Clark himself to come on and speak on the ACMP, and he opened up our Black History Month segment. But I'll give Dr. Jacques-Emeric Sangu as a, as a good example. Right, his research extensively looks at fortification and slavery, and one of the most one of the important reasons why I asked him to come on the show was because oftentimes we speak about how slavery affected people who became slaves. We forget about the communities that they came from and how it has a lasting impact on that. So I wanted to uh, dive in, into that, and so I go and do that. Right, so I have to go do some research, find out like some of the stuff that he's published. Um, uh, and then work from there, right, to start asking, okay, would you be willing to come on to the podcast because I want to discuss A, B, C. But sometimes I'm having on someone who is just a student within the community, um, like Tracy, who's on this week's uh, podcast. Her episode is out, and the second part comes out next week. It's It's rooted in an understanding of, A, this person is a student leader, um, But B, they are also a community member. So I want to hear the actual stories, which is why I said that's why I structured the podcast that way. I want, you know, I sat there and I asked the questions that open a conversation. Um, That's why whenever I'm asked to have a politician on, what usually comes from their offices, okay, send us the the types of questions you're going to have and stuff like that. Uh, which is very much different from what we're trying to achieve. And oftentimes when I have a politician on, to the, on the podcast, um, afterwards they find that, okay, we, they, they kind of drifted, but in a good way. So I wasn't trying to catch them out. I was really trying to get a more personal um, perspective. So that's how I sort of approach it. You know, It's, it's a very personal thing um, because I think the only way to address these issues is vulnerability. And so that vulnerability, you're asking particularly politicians who – often believe you know being forewarned is forearmed that like yeah, they yeah. they need to know everything you're going to ask whereas you know you and I sitting here yeah you're going to say something that I didn't know you were going to say and I I need to respond to that right I'm not just going to like read you from a like list of questions yeah I I have to imagine it sounds like you're doing the same approach with with the podcast that like if you're truly listening to the person they're going to say something that's going to spark a new question or like a new avenue of thought and a new idea, yeah. Uh, the Tracy one, uh, as an example, you, you split it into two parts. I take it then you don't have like a timeline, right? Like like obviously on something like it, you got a half hour, right? Like you're held to like the next person on, on air has to come in after you. Yeah. Uh, same with this show. Like at a certain point I have to stop. Yeah. How do you know when to stop? Like do, do, is there just kind of like a natural kind of conclusion to things? There is usually, so I start to wind down, especially when I notice that we've gone too far. I don't want to split something over like three episodes, you know. 
I only have so much time. I'm still a student uh, and stuff like that. And we want to leave enough slots there um, for more episodes. Um, I start to wind down in about the last 15 to 10 minutes, no matter what, uh, simply to sort of, you know. So I think the guest does start to acclimatize. You know, I asked them about their future plans, stuff like that. So if it's like a politician, it's, oh, are you going to run for a higher office, right? If it's a student, it's, are you going to go on after your master's program to do a PhD? You know, it's like, and they they, they sort of start to get it, right? Like, okay, a podcast is, you know, you want to set that tone. Um, And I think that um, the reason why I do that and why I let it go on for so long is, again, that vulnerability, right? I found that if you sit in a room and you tell someone, hey, Michael, we're going to do a 30-minute interview, you're not going to get everything you want out of them. You've put a, a, a limit on yourself, but you've also put a limit on them. They now have to compartmentalize all this stuff that they came in with into 30 minutes, mm-hmm. and it could easily become either factual, I didn't want it to sound like a lecture, as opposed to it being an interview. Yeah, you mentioned it not sounding like a lecture. You've had academics. How do you kind of coax them away from academic speech, right? Like, Because like, yeah. I find, particularly when you're considering like a podcast audience, not everyone has the same like no one sat in that person's classroom and mm-hmm. knows some of the like terminology to to pull them out of kind of some of the academic speak and into kind of conveying a message in, in a way that the average person, you know, not that there is an average person, but like that loose concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how do you, how do you do that? So I, I think I told you like I, we, we've sat down and spoken about how my show, the one that airs live on the radio, went from um, being what I wanted it to be, which was sort of um, a little more political than what it is today um, and how I ended up structuring that and it became a, an issue of topics and things that might interest people. In that same light, I, I, I so I had done a lot of research and I was like, okay, we're going to take s- some aspects of the daily show, the Tonight Show, and ch- turn it into a show, right? But it en- obviously it ends up becoming its own thing. But I think with this and in particular to what you're referring to where it's like, Academics have very technical terms and stuff like that. I think I watched I watched a lot of news when I was preparing what it was going to look like and how sort of news anchors get these people to try and break down issues to the everyday person who may not be in that field, who might not have an interest in that field. Um, and so one of the most important things is just explicitly say, right, because academics get lost in that stuff. They study for a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. You just be like, okay, so for our audience at home who may not understand what ABC is or what intersectionality is or something like that, could you please just further elaborate on what that is um, and why do you feel this is, you know. But then also just making them feel relaxed. You need to remind them that, look, I want this to be like a conversation, Um so you start off asking them, why did you go into academia in the first place, right? You know, I mean, that's a lot of time of studying. So they usually open up a little more after that. And and it's, it becomes, that makes it a little more interesting. You mentioned doing research, you know, when you pick a guest that you, you do a bit of research around, you know, their area of expertise or, or things like that. 
what kind of challenges does it pose to you to like, you know, like you've got your area of study, but you're going to be talking to people outside of that area of study. Like uh, uh, what challenges do you face kind of like learning what you need to then kind of come equipped to do a conversation for the podcast? I think the most important part is picking which of their work I'm going to do. But I think for me personally, the biggest challenge it presents is am I going to be able to understand this on the level? But, uh, you know, I, I think as a podcaster in general, you have to accept that you're, you're more so a generalist, right? So you don't want to dive deep into it. But you also want to ask the very inquisitive questions. You want to ask um, questions that are going to generate more ideas, more questions, be intriguing, and keep the listeners at home wanting to hear more, right? You want to keep them very curious, um, and that's where, to me, the biggest cha- challenge comes, especially when it comes to the fact that, you know, I only have very few questions jotted down because, like you said, I let some of these episodes go on and on. So what I usually do is I take what I find people will be most interested in and I try to wedge it right in the middle of the interview, right? So um, you go look for the stuff that you feel the audience it's going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, I'll give, again, oh, I guess we could use Tracy as an example because that's very recent. We started talking about the African diaspora and how represented it is in Canada and how that relates to Black History Month and how the African diaspora, like the, especially second-generation immigrants in Canada, how they struggle um, with a, having to relate to their parents, but B, having grown up here, um, trying to find their voice, whether it whether it's um, in advocacy, you know, advocating for themselves to say, hey, man, like, you know, I'm not with racism. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm, I'm a person. I'm very much a citizen of this country, right? Uh, but they're doing that. You need to remember that they have parents who are coming from where they came from, and they might not necessarily understand that. To them, it's, look, we've gotten to Canada. We're trying to give you a better life. Um, and, you know, we don't want you to get involved in all these things, right? Um, especially when they're still in high school. So they sometimes they, they, they struggle with that. So I know for a fact people want to talk about this. And it's something that's recurrently coming up. I'm not going to put that at the beginning of the episode, right? <laughs> So in the same way that you're talking about kind of like how you know like the 15 or 10 minute mark to kind of start like tapering down, like you you kind of think of maybe in terms of like a crescendo and then decrescendo to the episode, like kind of build towards the middle. Yeah, yeah. And you get to do that, um, especially when the guest is speaking, you, you, you start to pivot. You can start to pivot two questions before, right, just so that you can sort of pivot them in that area. Um but more importantly, I think um, quick thinking is crucial. You know, I'm not going to act like it's not something that, that, that comes into play. But I think it's definitely easier on a podcast where you're pre-taping the, the whole thing and you, you, you have time to temper with there, right? So it wouldn't be the same. On something like it, it would be like, listen, I have these 10 questions. We're going to go through them. Do you want to rehearse? You know, like... It, it, it wouldn't be the same as having a guest on like a 30-minute live slot. But you do kind of want to wedge it right there. And you find that on your way to those kinds of questions and on your way to that topic, it becomes 
more interesting, more of a conversation because you are now, you have an objective now in the middle of the interview to get those things out of the guest. And the guest now is getting to what whatever it is you send them in the email say, oh, we were, I knew we were going to talk about the African diaspora. I didn't know it was going to take a turn like this. So mid-interview, I'll tell you, I'll give you the example of Tracy. I was like, you are a student leader and you're a person from Uganda. You're from Africa. We sort of have a responsibility to bridge the gap for our contemporaries who grew up here in Canada. And she stopped mid-interview and she was like, you know, I didn't think of that. To me, that's very crucial because it, it show, for especially for the audience at home, to them it's like, okay, this is a conversation. So I didn't want Tracy to walk in there completely prepared for every question. I want her to have that moment. Right. Yeah. To, to make, make her hit pause. Yeah. Do you run into any difficulty when you're talking about something like, like an intergenerational issue of like bringing up trauma or like upsetting your guest? I mean, because obviously some of the topics you talk about can be upsetting or, you know, trigger memories or uh, unearth conflict that uh, can can be difficult to deal with. Like, how do you, how do you address that or what what have you done? Uh, so I will, I will not lie. I do struggle with that myself. Sometimes when a guest brings something up and I'm like, oh, man, if this is going to be the right question that I'm going to ask next? Because uh, the, the last thing you want is just to skim over something, right? Uh, for something, it's something I did recently, and I still beat myself up about it. But I think that when you're dealing with such heavy stuff, the most important thing to remember is that this is a human being going through things. They have made themselves, they have decided to make themselves vulnerable, right, to come and talk to you on the podcast. And so it's better to be honest and ask the questions you want to ask. But also the the benefits of it being pre-recorded is that you can be like, look, we can take a pause, right? We can take a pause. We can cut that out. Um, I think one of the issues that's been coming up recently is, of course, the young uh, man who was um, shot uh, over the New Year's holidays. And how we talk about that, I don't bring it up at all. I don't bring it up before the interview. People bring it up by themselves. I have made it, I have made it an effort to not speak about it on even on any platform, right? So because sometimes I know sometimes like I'll have a guest on and they might have read my stuff in the Manitoban, uh, which I occasionally write for, or they might have seen me at some event. I did not engage with it because I want people to speak their own mind about it, right? Um, and that's how this, I think that's the easiest way to deal with uh, a very heavy topic because I'm from South Africa. Truth and Reconciliation Commission was very crucial at the end of apartheid. You know, that country should have genuinely just gone to war. Um, but to avert that, people understood that the only peaceful way is if everyone sits there, is honest, and everyone s- speaks from their perspective, right? Now, whether we accept that perspective or not is a different question, but everyone has to be vulnerable. And that was a vulnerable moment for the country. And in that same light, I like it to be a vulnerable moment for the community and for the podcast. Well, the podcast is the Afro Amalgamation Podcast. It's available on umfm.com. Octavius, thanks for sitting down and talking about it. And uh, best of luck with the continued uh, releases and successes of the pod. 
Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. And uh, I hope to see you at some of our Black History Month events. Is there a space for uh, what's what's the best place to keep tabs on those events? Um, so we have the ACMP website. That's at HTTPS www dot um, we are ACMP dot com. Uh, on Instagram, it's ACMP Canada. Uh, we also post about the podcast on there. Um, and the rest of the stuff, um, you can just keep up with it by following um, all of our social media at ACMP Canada um, on all platforms. There we go. Thanks, Octavius. Thank you so much. Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, my thanks to Octavius Kahia. A reminder to check out the Afro Amalgamation podcast on umfm.com and visit their social media, the ACMP, to see what's going on for Black History Month and uh, throughout the year. Uh, now, I mentioned at the top of the show earlier this week, uh, local rapper and community worker Cade Jones involved in a tragic incident Uh I won't go into the details of what's going on, but for those who know him in the community, uh, my thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. Uh, he was involved in the Engage podcast, uh, co-hosted and produced it along with Josue Davey uh, in 2021. The podcast was produced uh, entirely remotely. Uh, this was during the time that the University of Manitoba campus was shut down, and uh, it was a series of conversations with people and organizations in our community who've taken the initiative to help grow and give back. Uh, lots of episodes available on umfm.com. I would encourage you to go check out the work that uh, Davey and Jones did. Um, I'm going to play an episode of that podcast in its entirety as part of this show. Uh, it was a conversation with Levi Foy, who is the executive director of Sunshine House, a great organization that we've talked about here on the show. Uh, so we're going to, play you what originally aired July 29th, 2021. And since we're playing the Sunshine House one, uh, I'm going to play you a new single from New Visionaries. This is uh, Joel Saracula and his latest project, a single called The Sunshine. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
Welcome back to Engage, everyone. This is Josue Davi hosting with Kate Jones, and our guest today is the executive director of Sunshine House Winnipeg, Levi Foy. Sunshine House is a drop-in and resource center focused on harm reduction, and they're located on Logan Ave. They host a variety of community events and fundraisers, and they've also recently begun hosting COVID-19 vaccination clinics. How are you doing today? I am fine. How are you two? Doing great. Doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great myself. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. So you are the executive director of Sunshine House, correct? That is correct. So how long has that been the case? So I started at Sunshine House in 2014, and I was part of a research project for like eight months. Then we started the Like That Project, which is a drop-in program for 2S LGBTQ plus people in Winnipeg. And I was a part-time program coordinator for that for, I don't know, up until... I took the job here and I, I'm in my third year now as the executive director. Sweet. So you've been there for quite some time and you've been able to see what it's like working there. You were able to see the shift from working there pre-pandemic and, and during the pandemic then, correct? That is correct. And yep. what was that experience like? It's really like, I don't know if I have a word in my vocabulary that would capture what it was like. I think hasty <laughs> is like a good word. Um, yeah. It happened so fast. And it also didn't need to happen so fast. So we kind of dropped the ball knowing that this was going to come. And by we, I mean us here at Sunshine House and then our public health counterparts. We, I don't think we did enough to prepare for the seriousness of what, it was, of what COVID-19 was going to look like and the amount of time it was gonna take and what it was gonna look like. So it was really fast. I'll just tell you what, what happened. So we got the like March 13th, March 14th. It was announced that there was like, the, I think that was the first cases in Manitoba. And that's when the world changed here. And then we got a call the next day from one of our funding agencies, the Winnipeg Foundation. And they said that they were gonna give us a little bit of money to kind of get us through this, this initial conflict. And so we're always underfunded organization, like historically, we, we hustle a lot to get the money that we get. And so we get those calls, you're like, okay, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to take out this money. And we went to the community and we're like, what do you want to do? And they were like, we don't know yet. Like, we don't know what this is going to look like. But then within a week, they were like, we're going to need food and we're going to need a place to stay open. So we need you to stay open and we need you to just give us some food. So then that's what we focused on. We just focused on being able to stay open through the pandemic and providing people with just basic needs and a place just to go when, when they needed a place to go because there's there's so many people who use services like Sunshine House or other organizations and so many different organizations had to shut down for their own reasons and not all of those reasons are valid and I don't criticize anyone for making decisions that they had to make about and so that's what we had to do we just we really shifted gears from being like a fun casual hangout spot to being like okay shit now we're a service provider what do we do let's figure this out together right that sounds pretty intense and the nature of Sunshine House you're on Logan Ave right yeah, Logan and Sherbrooke. Okay. And that's the permanent location? Like it, it wasn't... Uh... No, we own this building. We've owned it since 2008. So this is our building. We get to destroy it however we want. Sweet. So spending such amount of time there, I was curious if you could touch on your personal thoughts on what impacts have been made, how you personally have seen the community being impacted by the events and everything that Sunshine House has been doing. I don't want to... I don't know if I can speak to our impacts on the community because I don't know it comes from a very kind of imbalanced space because I'm a human but I'm also paid to be here and part of my job is really selling myself and selling the work that we do uh, so I can't in 
good faith say that our impact has been really great. That's up to the community. Right. What I will say, though, however, is that we just in basic numbers and in basic relationships that we have with people at the start of the pandemic, we were really we were only open three days a week. We're now open five days a week. We typically had about 200 visits a week in all four of our primary programs at the beginning of the pandemic. Like now, or 200 people, like 200 visits a month. And now we're seeing like 900 people a month. Some months it's like a thousand people or a thousand visits. And one of the biggest things that I think that we're, where we made inroads over the pandemic is that ourselves and Rossbrook House and Central Neighborhoods, we're kind of the only folks who are located in this neighborhood. And within this neighborhood, there's a ton of people who are living in absolute homelessness who are living in, who are precariously housed or maybe sharing spaces with other folks or living in rooming houses or just, just kind of, you know, really just communal living to get by. And a lot of the folks that we see now are people like that, where before we just, we didn't have that kind of same relationship directly with the neighborhood that we have now. So, and I think that's a testament to our impact. And I can say that with confidence. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have a studio I visit out just on Sherbrooke, a couple blocks from Sunshine House, and I visited a couple times. And yeah, definitely you've spoken on and it's something that I'm keen to knowing how needed these supports are within the community. You've been working there since 2014 and they've been in operation for a while. What does something like working at Sunshine House mean to you? Like what keeps you coming back? Because I can tell you're very passionate with how you speak about these things and just the way that you're engaging right now. You're very passionate about this place. And, you know, so I'm just wondering what keeps you working at a place like this? So I'm a millennial. (laughs) I came into working as a person at 13 years old. I'm a later millennial. And in that time, I always knew that I wasn't going to be like my parents. I wasn't going to break my back and I wasn't going to break my body and destroy personal relationships just to get a paycheck and to be unrecognized in to know that 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 a lot of the times that kind of labor isn't recognized and, and it isn't worthwhile in, in the long run. That being said, I've been at Sunshine, but Sunshine House is the longest place I've ever been employed. Even the three years or going into three years, this is the, the, the longest job that I've, I've had for, a, for my entire working life. And the reason why I stay here and the reason why I come here is because every day is different, but we also, there's working in an organization with so much uncertainty, there's also a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of room to be flexible and there's a lot of room to be creative and to really challenge yourself. And one of the things, of course, the biggest thing that brings me back here every day is I get to work with some of the coolest, most resourceful, most intelligent people on a daily basis. And it's just so, and it's really, really incredible. I mean, not only the community members that come here and visit the space and share their gifts with us on a daily basis and tell us how to do our jobs better and just come up with the best ideas for programs. Like that community is awesome, but also my staff, like the staff that I work with and the people who volunteer here, the people who want to become involved with Sunshine Health are just like the most incredible people that I wasn't born into. <laughs> so like my family's awesome, but these people are also really awesome. So that's what keeps me, and that's what also keeps me passionate. That's such a great answer. The people that are involved in that space, I know for sure, will just totally share that perspective. Looking back, and it doesn't have to necessarily be one, but are there any particular days or moments that stand out with your history there as very significant or impactful to yourself? Yeah, there's there's lots. That's the other thing, because prior to the pandemic, what we do at Sunshine House is weird shit. That is our bread and butter, like being weird and being just <laughs> just just doing dumb things together is, is like really what makes things so fun here. But there's been a lot of days where you walk away and you're like, you come back to it and you're like, wow, that was really, really powerful. 
And a lot of the times that comes through things that we think as being mundane. So when we first started the Like That program, we started that program because in the research project, we realized that there was a lot of people, a lot of 2SLGBTQ people in the city who were not really feeling comfortable in other spaces. Winnipeg has the Rainbow Resource Center and they've always been kind of the go-to queer space in the city. And then there's been like clinics and there's bars and stuff, but there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for people in this neighborhood or people who were, they didn't really feel comfortable. So we brought a lot of folks together at that table and we just decided like, hey, let's, this is what we encountered and we're going to try to, we're going to make this little program and we're going to do it. And so we invited lots of folks like QPOC Winnipeg and Rainbow Resource Center. And there was some folks who were in the homelessness sector and some folks who were in education and social workers and, and of course, community members. And they're like, yeah, go for it. So then a few months later, we're, um, we're at this, we're just sitting around and we're planning like a, a, um, just some dumb activity. And there's everyone who was kind of coming that night was already there. And I was like, well, let's, why don't we just, we were going to paint styrofoam heads and we, and we were going to paint the styrofoam heads as drag queens or however we wanted to paint them. And we ran out of styrofoam heads. So we're like, why don't we just go to, go to Value Village right now and go buy some. And so like, we had like a little bit of money and all of us queer people, we just hopped in a van and we hopped in the station wagon and we drove to Value Village and we were, we just ransacked that place for an hour and came back to Sunshine House. And it was just like super fun. And but it was also just like a thing that you do with your friends or with your family or with your peers. Like you get to just do those types of things. And when we came back, one of the older participants, he was visibly emotional. And he says, I never ever dreamed in my whole life that I would get an opportunity to do that. And I was like, go shopping. <laughs> He was like, no, no, don't be obtuse to go and just turn a place, make a place so queer just for a moment and just be at home in that space. I never thought in my life. And you know, that really, that one always took me because that's a thing I take for advantage of all the time. I'm a pretty young person. I'm very tall. I'm white passing, but I also have always had a support network. So doing a thing like going shopping or riding the bus or going to a clinic or whatever, I know that there's inherent risks to do that because of my queerness. But I also know that I always have a support network to fall back on if something were to happen to me. And things have happened to me. I've been assaulted. I've been mugged. I've been called names. I've been harassed. That kind of stuff. But I'm knowing I always had a support network. And then being able to turn that around and be somebody else's support network in just something like shopping was just like okay wow we're doing some pretty cool shit here and this is really neat so that was like the first time that was like the moment the real moment i fell in love with what we were doing that's so awesome that's an amazing story moving forward as the city seems to open up a bit are you looking to start anything specific that you haven't yet been able to due to the restrictions yeah, we're like really, really excited to have people back in our space and doing fun things again. Like, you know, being able to sit down and eat with your peers and then just sit around and like sing karaoke or paint together or do puzzles together and to share spaces and to be intimate with one another in, in that kind of non-platonic love, loving way is really, really important. And for the last, like, I guess we're going on 18 months now, we haven't been able to do that. And even if we did have brief moments, like last summer, where we could just, like, the virus was pretty low in our population. There were several days where we were at one, uh, less than 10 cases. And so, like, we could be a little bit more relaxed and just 
have fun together in those moments, but that's just something that we haven't been able to do. So really looking forward to fall and if vaccination uptake maintains current rates, like being able to get into a van and go medicine picking or being able to just go out to out on the land for a day or just like go shopping or come together and do like a weird activity in the house, like sing karaoke, like all of those things we're all missing. Like, community misses it, the staff misses it, everyone, like we all miss it. So like, that's the biggest thing. We're just looking for that kind of being able to be vulnerable with one another again. Definitely same here. I want to get out into the community and I'm sure that there's just so much that you guys were used to doing that it's just coming up right away. I feel like right around the corner where we can get those big community engagements back. You were speaking a bit on, you guys are just huge advocates for the LGBTQ space, um, drag spaces. You know, you guys hold, you had like a telethon a month or two ago, raising money. So these things are super incredible. You guys are really good at erasing barriers in this sense. And I'm wondering, COVID-19 aside, what are some barriers that a company like yours does face if there are barriers? Money. <laughs> what we want is blank check. Uh, but in seriousness, there's um, there's a lot to really go through in that question. And I, I like it. The, the biggest thing, like if, if our dreams are always hindered by resources, that doesn't make them impossible. It just makes them a little bit more challenging. So always being, being able to have resources, whether that be money or whether that be just even physical resources is always really, really beneficial. And then I also think like if we're thinking about barriers as an organization, one of the things that we have a lot of conversations on internally is looking at, I know on the outside, it looks like Sunshine House is super great at erasing barriers. And I'm, I'm glad that we're able to convey that. But that doesn't absolve us of our own responsibility that we have to be better to one another and to be better with the community that we work with. So really ensuring that Sunshine House from top to bottom addresses some of the barriers that people still might have with us and looking at the ways and really interrogating the ways that we engage with um, things like white supremacy or how have we benefited from colonialism. Like we're an, a non-Indigenous organization, like we're Indigenous-led and there's lots of queer people involved in all of these, but we're still bound to certain structures that require us to replicate things that are very damaging and very harmful to people. Um, so how do we, so really constantly keeping ourselves aware of our own biases, the way that we privilege certain types of knowledges and certain types of experiences, and then addressing that. And then making sure that, that we do that in, a, in, a, in as good a way as possible. We're never going to be perfect, but just knowing that we can be better, I think that's one of the best ways that we can be kind of barrier. Yeah, hear you there for sure. And it's something that I think all of us are part of just learning. Learning and unlearning is a big part of the process on how we can move forward and better engage with our community, better dismantle and heal, heal a lot of these things in the community. So that perspective, I'm very glad to hear. And I'm sure that people listening to this as well can take away from that and we'll be glad to hear that and you know if anybody is listening that has a bunch of blank checks to throw around please please just like throw it all to them straight up maybe maybe put our name on it so that we can actually cash it. <laughs> yeah yeah so anonymous billionaires aside, is there any way that the average listener that we uh, would have on our show um, might be able to support direct donation link or maybe drop off anything? 
Yeah, for sure. Like we we still we obviously always accept private donations still on your seats from community members. That's a really big reason why we're like community support from people who have who just throw us like five dollars a month or whatever that might be. Um, is one of the ways that we're able to be what we're able to be because it gives us freedom and getting $10,000 from the community is so much better than getting $15,000 from the government because with community money, our responsibility is to the community and ensuring that we're meeting that people's needs that way. To the government, we're usually bound to like very specific agreements that require a lot of different Right. So sometimes altering the things that you don't want to do. Anyways, you can donate to us like on our webpage. There's a donate page. So there's multiple different ways you can do it. You can do it through Canada Helps. You can send money directly. And then there, you can, there's, there's that. If people, I know that a lot of times, not a lot of us have a lot of money that we can throw to all of the things that we want to throw money at. We do also have, um, if you pay attention to our social media, our Instagram is pretty active. Our Facebook is active as well. We'll often put call outs for like material supplies. We're constantly always in need of like kind of masculine clothing, masculine socks, um, shoes, men's shoes, that kind of stuff. Uh, menstrual products are always a big thing because those are things that we have to purchase out of our, our, out of our budget. And then of course, like right now, even if it's not Sunshine House, if it's another organization in the neighborhood or wherever you live, getting people water, getting people uh, new socks and new clothes is just like a huge, huge thing that you can do for people because with with no not a lot of city spaces open and with um because of capitalism and the way businesses are structured, not a lot of people have the can go, they'll go many, many blocks without having the opportunity to have a sip of water. So making sure that places like ours or Women's Center, like the West Central Women's Center, SMA or Main Street Project and all of these folks, North End Women's Center, making sure that they have lots of water to give out, Bear Clan, Thunderbirds, all these people is really, really key because so many people die in, in hot weather that we just, that just goes unreported. So, but yeah, just pay attention to our social media and we'll always have calls out or we'll share our partner agency call out and stuff like that. So. All right. Well, you heard it here. If uh, anyone's able to help out by any means, please do it because these these folks are doing some amazing work and they're really helping out our community. So anyone who's able to and, and uh, feels so compelled, you just heard it. Is there any specific event or anything planned with Sunshine House in the near future that you'd like to plug? I wish I was that organized. <laughs> No, I know that now that things are opening up, we're starting to get some requests come through for, we do have kind of a fleet of drag queens who um, who have come through our Like That program have, and have been like essential to maintaining that program's operation through their fundraising efforts. And so a lot of the times people will get, will get requests and will connect people to different types of events. So I know that there's different types of events coming up drag related. Next Tuesday, there's actually uh, somebody who's been involved with Sunshine House uh, for their entire lives. They're hosting a fundraiser and excuse it's a taco fundraiser so you can purchase some tacos there'll be some entertainment there i think it's three for 11 and one for 4.99 so that's an excuse you can find all the information on our instagram page and then like coming up in the future we'll probably have another virtual bingo or virtual drag bingo or something like that and we had our first pop-up clinic yesterday and it was a lot of fun and super great we'll probably have another one in august to get people second doses so they'll be that but no real real major events coming up just lots of little things happening here and there that are kind of ease us back into being social creatures again 
Very nice. Very awesome. We're excited to see. I know that everybody in the community is excited to see. I'm excited to get back out there and just really get into the full swing. I know that some of these things just created a little bit of uh, extra work on our shoulders. So ready to get back into it. And yeah, it's been it's been really exciting having you here and hearing these perspectives. I think that that's been really valuable to hear. So thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. I'm glad I could. I'm like so exhausted. My brain doesn't work at all. So I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to find something useful in this conversation. Yeah, right. No, this was great. Genuinely, this has been awesome. This, yeah, I didn't get that from you at all. So this has been super great. So just one thing we do like to do on this show, being that we will air on UMFM once and then it'll be archived on the internet. Would you like to pick the song that will follow it when it does air on the radio? Why don't you play Cade's latest song? Sweet, let's do it. Which, wait, well, which one? Because uh, my brain doesn't work, and I'm not super up to date on things, so I don't really know. Like the, the latest, the latest, latest one, the last one you released. <laughs> well, it was a, it was an EP. It was an EP. We'll put the we'll pull out. Uh... <laughs> hey, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. The only time I ever listen to the radio is I, when I'm driving the van and it's CBC. So whatever CBC would have played, and I think it was when Leonard was hosting up to. Up to speed. Okay, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> okay, so sweet. that one was yeah. good. I liked it. Uh, and then anytime I'm listening oh. to anything, it's like really old Spanish music or podcasts. <laughs> dope, dope. Sweet. We'll, we'll Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been Engage. I'm Josue David here hosting with Kate Jones. And we just had the pleasure of speaking with Levi Foy of Sunshine House Winnipeg. Thank you so much for your time today. No worries. Uh, I'm glad. Like, this was fun. Way easier than a lot of other interviews that I hope you had. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely did. I'm glad to hear that. Let's ride, yeah. 
So let's ride, uh, uh, yeah Open my eyes, swear to God I'm delirious Get a hold of your motives, cause I don't fuck with ulteriors If I stayed at the bottom, I find my comfort, I'm serious Cause the world is so close to breaking, the truth is I'm furious Mama told me grow seeds, no matter how far the hope seems That's an OG, now she become her own queen Won't follow pop, I ain't no fiend The harder to fall, the better the cope be The grime of the low streets, see crime of no streaks So let the song cry, and let me paint you my vision over this long ride Over some music while we're playing my memories Like a record hit a drop, don't pay attention to enemies No, we walking to the top, through the time of remembering Shit is elegant, if it's ever been I'm speaking on a racist in the room, not an elephant And everywhere I go, yeah, I'm bringing this intelligence Uh-huh, and they still acting like we separated But we all in this world, good generation Me and my people growing tense, we waiting But instead you wanna stand around and fight And get your head invaded, hoping for elevation I know the devil's lazy, I'll be there waiting Counting time as I'm meditating I know sometimes I'm out of line But I'll demonstrate that lives coming straight from the divine Even though it's hard to find, spread your wings and you can fly Presence is amazing, I don't hold a 45 But the fire is blazing, I'm mortified And holding blind statements, hold the lines Hold a tide, lady, I ain't letting out a cry If they make me, I'ma keep going, rolling Staying ferocious, and grab a lock into the life That I've chosen, Lord is my witness I can't regret any choices, only reason I'm here is cause I listen to the voices Uh-huh, here to bring about a voice for the voiceless Don't gotta act like you know it You can't avoid it Remaining flamboyant And walk through the sandstorm And transform and Praying to God That he got plans for me You won't find answers In a bad forest You lose the chance If you don't grab for it You won't attain it Till you can't hold it in anymore And let them hear the feelings That you have for it I said When we all get to heaven What a glorious day Put your heart on your sleeve Start exploring your faith I get there's more to the story Always more you can say But I'ma let it away Uh-huh, let's go I'm doing this for God, yeah, I'm doing this for God, so let's run it. I'm doing this for God, so let's run it, uh-huh. let's run it, yeah. When we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that'll be. I wonder if heaven could sound like this. Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio, you heard Could Heaven Sound Like This from Cade Jones's No Distractions Please album. Uh, as I said, my thoughts... And prayers are with Joan's family and friends right now. On Monday, it is Louis Riel Day, uh, celebrating the Métis Nation and uh, the founding, essentially, of the province of Manitoba. Uh, I'm going to play you something from a contemporary Métis artist. Amanda Rayom just released a new single on Valentine's Day called Flowers. We're going to play that. We got Britty, who is the latest signing to Dan Auerbach's Easy Eye Sound label. Uh, Tara Kanangara, who recently played supporting with Jeremy Dutcher when he came for his Madolwanuk uh, tour. We got something from Francis Astral Bakers. We've got the locals Zrada, who are back with a new, I guess it's an EP, based on the number of songs, called The Old Ways. Uh, unfortunately, no release show for this, but uh, it came out today. We're going to play you Nightingale from that. And then I think we can sneak in a couple more things before we hand it over to After 8 Radio at 8 p.m., uh, keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. We'll be back here next week.
It's a beautiful everything It's a beautiful 